Chapter One of the Wild Irishman by Thomas William Hodgson, T. W. H. Crossland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Brandon. Chapter One Distressful. The person who invented the Irish question may or may not deserve well of his species. In a sense, of course, there has been an Irish question since the beginning of history but it is only within the last century or so that we have begun to spell it with a big q that big q perhaps attained its largest proportions during the eighties of the last century and associated as it usually was with a capital g which stood for gladstone and a capital p which stood for somebody else it certainly did yeoman service whenever a useful letters could be found at the time of mr gladstone's home rule campaign the existence of a highly insistent irish question could not be doubted a good deal of water has flowed under the bridges since then however and at the present moment and in view of the present situation of irish affairs one is tempted to wonder whether there now exists or whether there really has ever existed an irish question with a big q at all it is true that at the time of writing there is an actual and undesirable famine raging in connemara it is true that the population of the country is on the decline and that the standard of comfort among the people will not bear comparison with the standard of comfort in any other country in the world unless it be the poorer and bleaker regions of kamchatka and it is true also that Irishmen as a body continue to exercise themselves, both at street corners and on all sorts of platforms, in a habit of rhetoric which many years of shouting have made second nature with them. For all that, the Irish question as a portentous and vital matter appears to be somewhat played out. One may safely say that in Ireland, at any rate, it has been reduced to an obscurity which allows of its being now spelled with about the smallest q in ordinary use among printers in england it has been allowed to disappear in favor of the russo-japanese war protection and do we believe on the whole though it no doubt harrows the souls of the horde of carpetbaggers which have come to us out of ireland this condition of affairs is exceedingly salutary for ireland itself now that the factions and the tumult and the turbulence and the wrangling have died down or at least been in large measure abated the facts about ireland are for the first time in history beginning as it were to swim into our ken we are beginning to perceive for example that out of the quarrels and bloodshed of the past hundred years ireland has emerged triumphant it has been a case of a bankrupt downtrodden and dwindling people's fight against a rich and powerful dominant people and the weaker side has proved clearly that in the long run god is on the side of justice to all intents and purposes ireland is at the present moment in full possession of all that she herself has felt it reasonable to demand she has the franchise she has land laws which are almost socialistic in the benefits they offer to the cultivators of the soil and she has local self-government more than all she has herself begun to recognize 
that the disposition of england toward her is becoming year by year less arrogant less implacable less contemptuous and less severe it has been said that aaron's appeals for reasonable treatment at the hands of england have had to be made by violence of the most brutal and terrorizing kind she has stood before us with the head of a landlord in one hand and the tail of a cow in the other and screamed till we gave her what she wanted and always in a large measure we have succumbed and the singular part of it is that in no instance have we had cause nor do we appear likely to have cause to regret it of course that crown and summit of irish blisses home rule has not yet been vouchsafed to her but this i believe is due to the fact that ireland herself is still making up her mind whether she really wants it half ireland says give us home rule the other half says please don't and the two parties seem to be getting on very well together by agreeing to differ this is a true and natural settlement of a problem which as i believe is purely artificial arising out of the exigencies of party and the jealousies of rival demagogues rather than out of the desires of the people if ireland in her heart of hearts desired home rule she would have it within the next couple of years she has the good sense to know that however fascinating the theory of home rule may appear the practice of it for her would be difficult and irksome if not altogether disastrous both sides are agreed that home rule for ireland means an immediate spell of civil war for ireland the irish catholic will tell you this and the irish protestant is equally clear about it in view of the condition and nature of the country such a war were a calamity to be staved off at pretty well any cost even if it were certain and it is by no means certain that the subsequent benefits would be appreciable and lasting the politicians will tell you that it is possible to have in ireland what is somewhat prettily called a union of hearts the union of hearts which i desire says one of them is a union of irishmen of all classes and of all creeds from the north to the south from the east to the west landlords and tenants catholics and protestants orange and green and i look to this union as the surest way of bringing about a national regeneration of our country which is exceedingly beautiful but amounts to asking for the moon oil and water cannot be made to mix and in a country where a couple of cardinals and a number of bishops were lately stoned by a rabblement of protestants the union of hearts may be reckoned still a great way off holy ireland and i think it is rather to her credit will never be brought to do what england and scotland have managed to do namely to set the political and material interests in front of the religious and spiritual interest catholics and protestants in ireland are catholic and protestant from head to foot and right through and you will never induce them to forget it all the same it is not impossible with the exercise of a little charity and self-restraint for the line to lie down with the lamb politically if not religiously and this is what is happening in ireland in other words the irish catholics and protestants have tacitly agreed 
that they can live in more or less amity under one government providing that government is neither an irish catholic government nor an irish protestant government but an alien impartial and practically secular government as we have said the irish question as a portent and terror to england is disappearing if indeed it has not already disappeared for all that the fact remains that ireland in the main is a distressful country thackeray snooks gives it as his opinion that of all the womb count with that i ever weed of hang me if ireland isn't the womb-eth womb yea an irrepressible epithet though it may be is really and deep down not the epithet whereas distressful is there are people in the world who are born to misfortune whose lives are touched with melancholy from beginning to end and who cannot be brought to rejoice even by act of parliament ireland's woes may be said to be largely temperamental and still more largely misfortunate her very position in the geographical scheme of things is strikingly lonesome and unhappy practically she is the last outpost of europe and a little one at that with sheer atlantic on one side of her and sixty miles of sea between herself and england it is impossible for her to get rid of a certain feeling of isolation which is not good for the spirits the soft rain that is always over her may heighten the green of her meadows but it keeps her damp and watery and preternaturally boggy she has no harbors of the kind that are essential to fishermen and though some of her ports may be admirable there is little in the country that calls for the use of them thus physically handicapped ireland has necessarily produced a people who are in all respects a people to themselves the religious faculty in them has been highly developed the commercial faculty might seem to have been left out of their composition by nature they were simple cheerful unambitious warm-hearted race and they have suffered accordingly sir francis drake or some instrument of his planted the potato upon them james i planted the scotch on them george the third gave them a lord lieutenant and a secretary the potato the scotch and dublin castle have been the three bitter curses which have brought this people to the ghastliest social and political passes all three are ineradicable but they may be mitigated this is what ireland wants end of chapter one recording by john brandon